0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world? The choice, Christ, or culture for us? We can choose Christ. We were on a flight from Atlanta this, uh, it was on Friday. And uh, Lisa, who did work in our office and has now moved to Georgia, was on that same flight and and sat with us back in the rear of the plane. We were on the back seat. And Lisa was afraid of flying. And uh, so she was sitting by Lee. And every movement of that plane, every sound, every noise, she would say, is that normal? On my right was a man that I could tell was in tremendous agony and misery because of fear. I could tell by the way he looked, by the way he acted, by the way he moved around, by the way he had his head down, I could tell by the way his hands were shaking, that he was a frightened man. And he was across the aisle from me, and and so I leaned over to him and I said, my friend, it appears to me that you are frightened. Are you afraid? He said, I'm scared to death. He said, I haven't flown since 1970. And he said, I'm scared. And so I began to talk to him. I just tried to get him on another subject, and we talked about different things and talked about his family and found out about his kids. And, and he had two kids, and he'd been through a divorce. And we were talking and trying to get his mind off the, the airplane. And he said, you are so kind. What do you do? I said, I pastor a Baptist church. He said, oh my God, I've been running from God for 10 years. I thought, you're going to get us all killed. (laughs) Just a thought. But then I began to talk to this man and to tell him, just tears began to flow down his cheeks and to tell him how God was ready to take him back. That God doesn't move away from us, we move away from God. God. And that God longs to have fellowship with him. And that no matter what he's done, he's not done anything to cause God to love him any less. And as we were landing in Monroe, I talked to him during the whole landing process so he wouldn't know that we were landing. In fact, afterwards, the stewardess thanked me for talking him through that experience. But when we landed in Monroe, he says, I've got to get off this airplane. He said, I'm going to Shreveport, but I know it's not far from Monroe to Shreveport, and I'll get there. I just don't want to go back up again. But we talked him into going back up with us and finally into coming over to this report. Now, the reason I was so tuned in to this man is because I'm not a therapist, but I've been there. I've been paralyzed by fear on an airplane. And I went through that experience for about two years. Now, I've always loved airplanes, and I had a deacon who flew with an Air Force acrobatic team and taught me to fly years ago. I went up with him many times and we did acrobatics in, in the sky and and I survived all that. And since I've been here, I've been up with the planes at Barksdale and refueling fighter planes and, and enjoyed those experiences and I've flown all over the world. But I got into trouble about four or five straight times on an airplane and I was convinced that uh, we were not going to survive. And I guess that trauma of those Experiences one after another somehow caused fear to get a hold of me deep inside, and I literally could not shake it. And it got so bad that not only was I totally miserable the whole time I was flying, but I could not sleep the night before I would take a trip. I was up all night just dreading that flight. And I was reading everything I could get my hands on, I was talking to Psychologists, friends, I talked to doctors, I talked to preachers, I talked to pilots. Nobody could give me any help. I saw these two pilots one day and I shared the four experiences I'd had in an airplane, and they said, Well, if that happened to us, we'd be scared too. I said, Thanks for your encouragement. <laughs> Nobody could help me. And people made it worse because every time I get on an airplane in Shreveport, when I walk on the plane, there are always people on the plane who say, thank God you're on this plane, we're going to be safe. And I'm saying, don't count on me, I'm in a mess. I don't need that right now. But it got so bad that I would literally tremble and every move of that plane, every noise, every sound, it was just causing me to be absolutely miserable and uh, so afraid that, uh, and, and, and my mind would tell me what was going to happen. See your mind is so good. You have all, where these thoughts come from, I don't know, but they're lying to you, and they tell you all kinds of things. They would tell me exactly how this crash was going to happen, and that devil was going to crash, and this was my last flight, and it would also set up why it was this particular flight, and, and uh, how it was all and who was going to do my funeral, and how many of you would show up. And I mean, I went through all that. And here I am having walked with God all these years, knowing all this scripture, and my spiritual friends telling me, well, just just read a verse of scripture and claim it and shut up. Don't ever do somebody that way. Because you see, many times people are hurting and doing everything they can to come out of that. But for some reason, it's out of their control. Depression is the same way. You get depressed, and people pat you on the back and say, Get a life. Come on, get over that. You've got so many things to be grateful for. Just count your blessings and go on. The only reason you say that is because you've never been depressed. And so I know what it is to be gripped by fear. And I'd make me little index cards and put scripture verses on there, and I had them in my pocket every time I'd fly, and I'd read those verses until I memorized all those verses. I didn't need the cards anymore. I'd just quote scripture. People by me thought I was cramming for finals. I found these statistics on how safe it is to fly and I had them laminated and put in my briefcase. Take that thing out and read it. And people say to me, well, if it's your turn, it's going to be your turn. And I'm thinking about how many people on this airplane, what if it's the pilot's turn? (laughs) Two years I wrestled with that. And the sad thing is I was having to fly all the time in the midst of that. As I look back on it, Something kept telling me, you've got to keep on doing it. If you stop flying, you'll never get back on an airplane again. The pilot who taught me how to fly taught me that one principle. And that one night we got into a small airplane and it was dark and there was no light inside the airplane. And it was late and we decided to go take a quick flight and he was my instructor and, and I needed the hours. And so we jumped in that little tiny Cessna and we went out on the runway and tried to take off and I was trying to pull the nose up and he was screaming at me, pull the nose up and I'm trying to pull it up and it won't come up and he's screaming, pull the nose up and I mean by this time really screaming and I'm saying, and then I'm screaming back to him, I can't get the nose up. Well, the controls were locked but we couldn't see it in the dark and I hadn't been flying long enough to know, I have never even heard of that the controls would be locked. So all I knew is I couldn't get the nose up and we finally got that plane stopped out there just at the end of the runway but then he said to me we've got to now go back and take off and you've got to take this plane off and I said I can't do it there's no way all I want is on the ground out of here and he said if you don't do it you'll never ever fly again so he made me get back out there and take that plane off again so I remembered that experience and I knew that I had to keep flying and so I kept flying and for two years I was absolutely miserable on every flight. You know, and I, don't, I still don't know how I got over it. But I don't know how I got over it except I believe that the fear was so deep that it took a lot of time and a lot of discipline, a lot of the Word of God, a lot of prayer, a lot of thinking the right thoughts, and a lot of just doing it. Feel the fear and do it to get me out of that situation. Now, some of you look at me like, I can't believe you'd be afraid of flying. What are you afraid of? I promise you that some of you in this service are paralyzed by fears. One guy got a job, and he was afraid of heights, and they put him on the 15th floor of a building, constructing a building, working with steel. And he was petrified. After about two weeks, the foreman saw him, and he said, the guy was just trembling, and he said, are you scared? He said, scared? I've been t- trying to quit for t- two weeks. <laughs> scared. What are you afraid of? Some people are afraid of today. Some are afraid of tomorrow. Some are afraid of yesterday. Some people are afraid of death. Some people are afraid of life. Some are afraid of failure. Some are afraid of success. Are you afraid of disease, stroke, heart attack, the loss of a loved one, divorce, divorce? Rejection, so many people are afraid of rejection. And it keeps us from getting involved in relationships. It keeps us from cultivating friendships. It keeps us from sometimes serving God because we're afraid of rejection. Fear is at the bottom of most unhappiness. It paralyzes us. It beats us down emotionally. It beats us down spiritually. It beats us down physically. The three greatest fears not being accepted, not being loved, not being successful. The word fear, that we get our word fear from, means a sudden calamity, a sudden danger. So fear is the emotional response to danger. To either real danger or imagined danger doesn't make any difference. Anxiety that we use with fear is another word. It means to strangle, to hold tightly. It's, you feel that you're suffocating. It's like someone has a grip around your chest and, and you're having trouble breathing. You feel like you're suffocating and you don't know why. That's anxiety. You see, fear, there is an identifiable object. Now, it may be real or it may be imagined, but there is something you can identify that you're afraid of. But with anxiety, you don't know why you're afraid. But when I was going through all this struggle with fear and I would talk to people out there, I was shocked to know how many young men, men in their 40s, were struggling with fear and afraid of death. There's something that men go through in that you feel such responsibility for your families and and who would take care of them if something happened to you, that men become preoccupied with death and just a tremendous fear of death. I'll tell you something else. When you push yourself too hard, too long, your mind begins to play tricks on you. And you begin to imagine your own death, or the death of a family member. Anytime that begins to happen, you, begin, you slow down and you make sure that you're taking care of your physical and emotional self. The number one problem of women is fear. The number two problem of men is fear behind alcohol and drugs. So fear is a major, major problem. And I promise you that all of you in this building have in one way or another encountered fear. We've been talking about Bumps in life. The bumps are what we climb on and how to turn bumps into blessings. And we talked last time about the bump of anger and this time we talk about the bump of fear. Because fear is something that all of us face. So how do you handle it? How do you conquer it? Or how do you keep from it conquering you? Fear is ancient. It's man's most ancient enemy. It's the oldest result of sin. Remember in Genesis 3 when when Adam and Eve sinned, After they sinned, immediately they hid from God and the Bible says they were afraid. So they sinned and then right on the heels of sin came fear. So fear is the oldest result of sin. Fear is universal. It's just a problem in all of our lives. We're going to encounter fear. Julius Caesar was afraid of thunder. Peter the Great was afraid of bridges. One great general was afraid of cats. But you'd be surprised at people who are afraid of cats, or afraid of dogs, afraid of animals. The number 13, in many hotels, there's not a 13th floor because people are afraid to be on the 13th floor. A couple of weeks ago, some friends who watch our television program, and uh, we'd met them and talked about parasailing. And so he came by and said, I've come to take you parasailing. Parasailing. And I thought, I'm sure my wife would like to do that. <laughs> and so we went with them so that my wife could parasail. Well, she did. I knew she wanted to, and I was excited for her, and I was riding in the boat watching that whole experience and was not afraid at all. But then she said, I had to do it. And then they started putting all this pressure on me. You've got to do it. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful experience. Well... I didn't really want to do it, but I knew I was going to have to do it. But when I knew that I had to do it, I started watching things more closely. I began to watch the rope. The rope's this, this long yellow rope. It's a thick rope, but it had a couple of places where it had been tied back together. <laughs> that bothered me. So I got to think of what happens if the rope breaks? And what if it breaks when you're over trees or over land, not over water? What if it breaks when you're over water? How far down do you go? How hard do you fall? All these things I was thinking about. So, you know, they connect me up. They put me in this thing and buckle all these things and uh, tell me how safe it's going to be that almost nobody gets hurt. And then, you know, it tells you to walk, and then you start to run just a little bit as the boat picks up speed, and then it just takes you up in the air and you fly. And then he'll talk to me later about landing and I do all that and I get in the air and it does feel great and then he's got this megaphone and he says I knew I should have gotten some gas before we left (laughs) here I am flying up there helpless and I got a clown down here in the boat just uh, (laughs) playing with my mind and then he talks to me about landing and of course we landed it was a wonderful experience I loved it I really enjoyed it but now had I given in to my fears I would have never had that experience Because any time you do something that's unfamiliar, especially when you're out of control, there's a lot of fear involved. But if you're not willing to stretch yourself and get out of your comfort zone, then you're going to miss a lot of what life has to offer you. Because fear will never go away as long as you continue to grow. As long as you continue to do things. Because growth involves risk. It involves change. It involves... Getting you out of your comfort zone. There are three kinds of fear. There's healthy fear. Not all fear is bad. It's an instinct that God gave us to meet the dangers of life. There's some things you ought to be afraid of. Some of the animals, that's their defense, is fear. The deer, the rabbit. We teach our children to be afraid of things like matches, fire, crossing the street, razor blades, things that could hurt the knives. So we use that. Society uses fear as a proper motive for doing right. If you don't do right, this is going to happen. It's a deterrent to crime, the punishment. And, and be honest with you, I think it's necessary. I think one thing wrong with this country is we're too light on those who do wrong. People get away with almost anything. The electric chair is very seldom used in most states. There's a lot of debate about that. And you don't have to agree with me, but I think you have to have something like that because there's no other way to keep people under control. They have to fear some kind of punishment that's permanent. But I'm saying you have to have some kind of deterrent to crime or the whole thing will come apart. So there's a healthy fear. There's a holy fear. Throughout the Bible, we're told to fear God that we're to serve God and we're to fear God, that we're to have this reverence for God, this respect for God, and holy fear leads to faith. The luminaries in Scripture, Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, Moses, these people had a holy fear of God, and that holy fear led them to obedience by faith. So there's healthy fear, there is holy fear, and there's also unhealthy fear. We use the word phobia. That's an exaggerated or persistent fear. And any fear can become exaggerated. If you don't deal with it, if you don't force it to be measured by truth and reality, it can become exaggerated. Panic attacks. We hear a lot about that. That's the unleashing of fear and anxiety. And if you have panic attacks often, you need to let somebody help you get through that. Over 20 million people are obsessed with fear. There are over 700 identified phobias, things that people are afraid of. It'd be interesting just in this crowd to know what you are afraid of, what phobia you have. One man climbed 17 stories every day to his job because he was afraid of elevators. A housewife who hadn't gone out of her house in 12 years because she's afraid of open places. Fear's an amazing thing. It paralyzes people. It lies to you. Don't ever forget that. It's like when I'm home alone. You know, I'm the great protector at my house. Uh, I live with three girls. My great fear is pantyhole strangulation. (laughs) But they're counting on me to protect them. I don't know what I would do, but they feel good as long as I'm there. But the interesting thing is when they're gone, I'm frightened because I hear all these noises. These things that I've never heard before. We may go to sleep and forget to lock two, three doors. Most of the time we forget about the alarm. But when they're gone, I check all the doors once or twice. I turn on the alarm. And I still have trouble going to sleep because I'm hearing these sounds. That's just the mind plays tricks on you. And it's lying to you constantly. And somehow you have to be able to understand that those are lies and deal with that and process that. Fear, F-E-A-R, false Expectations appearing real. Things that are false, but they appear to be true. The worst liars in the world are your own fears. But I got good news for you fear is conquerable. 366 times in this book, it says, Fear not. I think anytime God says something 366 times, we ought to pay attention to it. And if God says, Fear not, guess what? You can fear not. God will never ask you to do anything you couldn't do. So over and over and over he says fear not. The reason he says it so many times is he knows that you're going to battle fear all of your life. There's not a decision you can make this morning to get fear out of your life. You will always battle fear if you keep growing. But you learn to not let it control you. You conquer it rather than it conquering you. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Isaiah 41, 13, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Then Psalm 34, 4, a great verse that says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. The bottom line of fear is unbelief. At the bottom of every fear is the fear that somehow something's going to happen that you can't handle. That life is going to bring something in to your life that you cannot deal with, that you cannot handle, that you cannot make it through. That's unbelief. And that's a contradiction of Philippians 4, 13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me inner strength. You see, we've got to believe that we can handle all things. God says, I won't put more in you than you can handle. We either believe that or we don't believe that. To deal with our fear, we have to learn to believe God and to trust Him and to recognize that our feelings lie to us. Because here's the truth. Through Christ... You can handle your fears without your external world or circumstances changing. In other words, you can conquer fear without having to control the external. Because many times the external is out of your control. Circumstances happen. Situations come. Problems arise. You go through a crisis. And you may not be able to change the circumstances but what God is saying is regardless of what's happening outside your life, regardless of what's happening externally, I'm going to calm you internally. I'm going to give you my peace and my strength to handle it internally. It may never change externally but he says I'll give you internal strength to handle it. I'll tell you what fear does to you. Number one, it saps your strength. Just drains you. When I would get off an airplane, when I was battling fear, I would just literally be worn out. It saps your strength. It's like pushing down the accelerator to the floor and having the brake fully down at the same time. Not only does it sap your strength, secondly, fear keeps you stuck. And many of you, you've been stuck for years because of fear. Some of you sat on a pew for 10 years and you've never done anything to serve God because fear has you stuck right there. And all these little things, that these little lies you believe that says, you can't teach Sunday school, you can't work in the church, you can't be an usher, you can't work in the television ministry, you can't help somebody come to Jesus, you can't minister to somebody. All those are lies. And it keeps you stuck right where you are because you believe it. You're afraid if you might do that and fail or what somebody might say to you, or you might get your feelings hurt, afraid of this thing or that thing. And fear keeps you stuck, and you miss out on what God designed you to do and what God gifted you to do, and then that's your greatest fulfillment. You see, every one of you has a ministry that God's given you and gifted you for, and until you get plugged into your ministry, to your job, you're going to miss your greatest fulfillment. See, there's not a lot of fulfillment just sitting there on a pew. God's got something for you to do, and that's where you get the fulfillment. He wants you to walk in the lives of other people for their good, for God's glory. Fear keeps you stuck. You're afraid to try something new. You're afraid to branch out, afraid to do anything, afraid to step forward and offer your time or your talents or your commitment. The third thing, fear sabotages your relationships. I'm talking about all of them. Your relationship with God, your relationship with other people. Fear builds walls. It builds barriers. See, the reason people shut other people out and and they won't let you get close to them is because they're afraid. Like John Powell says in his book, I'm afraid to tell you who I am because if I tell you who I am, you may not like me and that's all I am. That's all I have. So we're afraid to open up to anybody and we build these walls, we build these barriers and we won't let anybody in close and we miss out on the best thing life has to offer and that's relationships. You can't have intimacy with God because you're too afraid. You see, you're afraid to tell God who you really are. When God made you, He knows who you really are and He loves you unconditionally. It messes up every relationship of our life. We can't give and receive love if we're paralyzed by fear. Fourthly, fear jerks the joy out of life. You can't be happy and full of fear at the same time. When I was on those airplane trips and so full of fear, was I happy? Never a happy second. I was miserable. Didn't want to be there. Considered many times trying to find the door and just stepping out. Couldn't take it any longer. Paralyzed by fear. So fear will take the joy, the happiness out of your life. Some of you are not happy right now because you're afraid of what might happen to you, what might happen to your family. Afraid of death, afraid of failure. What might happen to your business? Listen to me, listen carefully. 90% of the things you fear will never happen. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Don't let it take away your joy. A sad old man was asked, What's taken the joy out of your life? His answer, all the things that never happened. It Jerks the joy out of your life. Fifthly, fear limits your success. You see, if you make decisions based on fear, you won't be successful. You'll sell yourself short. Somebody said we promise according to our hopes, but we perform according to our fears. You may say what you're going to do on your hopes, but what you actually do is going to be based on your fears. The sixth thing, fear destroys your health. Oh, there's so many health problems that are directly related to fear, unresolved fear. There are few things more destructive to health and happiness in life than, than fear that gets a death grip on you. John chapter 13, would you turn to that? John chapter 13, we we'll look at... Chapter 13 and chapter 14 and then a passage from John 6. Jesus made a comment that shook up his disciples. He said, I'm leaving and you cannot come with me. That shook them up. They became afraid. Verse 33 of John chapter 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus said, I'm going away and you can't come with me. And they said, Lord, we've got to go with you. We can't make it without you. You're our friend, you're our counselor. You're our wisdom, you're our strength. Jesus said, I'm going, but you can't come. And they were afraid. Now look at, at the first verse of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then down in verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. So here were the disciples afraid because Jesus said, I'm going and you can't go with me. But Jesus said there's no need for you to be afraid because you can draw on the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who will be your helper. He will be in you all that I've been with you. He will be your instructor. He will be your inspirer, your reminder. He will remind you of my truth. He will give you the strength, the help you need to handle whatever you have to handle. So you don't need to fear because you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have God, God's power in your life. You don't need to fear. You can conquer fear because of the Holy Spirit in your life. Secondly, he said, you don't need to be afraid because you can appropriate the peace that I give you. He says, my peace I give you. It's a gift. Not your peace, not the peace of circumstances. He says, I give you my peace. It's something the world can never give you and the world can't take away from you. He is saying that in the midst of a storm, I want to give you inner peace. You can't explain it, but it's going to be there. That when the whole world seems to be coming apart on the outside, I'm going to give you inner peace and strength to handle whatever you have to handle. My peace I give you. You don't have to be afraid because you have the Holy Spirit and you have my peace. And then he said you don't need to be afraid because... I have a plan. And that plan is going to be carried out. Verse 28, he says, You heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. He said, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And until I come back, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have my peace, so you can handle anything that comes in your life. And I want you to know one day we're going to be together again and it's going to be worth it all. You don't need to be afraid because you have the Holy Spirit. You have my peace, inner peace that comes as my gift to you. And you have my promise that I'm coming back. Don't be afraid. And then there's a passage over in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Literally it says, It is I am. Don't be afraid. There's no need for you to be afraid of anything because it is I am. I am with you. Remember in the Old Testament, God says, my name is I am. Whatever you need, he says, that's what I am. In the New Testament, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am whatever you need. So there's no need to fear because I am is here. Now Jesus walked on the water. What was it that they were afraid of? The water. There was a storm. They were afraid of the waves and the water. Jesus was walking on the very thing that they were afraid of. Jesus says, There's no need for you to be afraid because what you're afraid of, I'm walking on. It's under my control. It's no problem to me. I'm walking on your fears. What a consolation to know that whatever fear comes into your life, Jesus says, That fear is under my feet. I'm walking on it. I'm in control. You don't have to be paralyzed by it. You don't have to be taken under by it. He walks on the things that we're afraid of. There was a young sailor on a ship that was in a, a major storm at sea, and he was so full of fear, and he looked around at his buddies wanting assurance, but there was no assurance to be found. And Finally, he bowled it off and took off up to the upper deck to the control room, and there the captain was. Struggling with that ship in that storm. And he watched the captain struggle with that ship. And after a few minutes, the captain turned around and looked at him and smiled. He smiled back at the captain. Then he ran back down below deck to his buddies and he said, We don't have to worry. It's okay. I've seen the captain's face and he's smiling. That's what the Lord says to you and me. He says, If you focus on the The storm. if you focus on the water, on the waves, if you focus on the circumstances, if you focus on the people, you're going to be afraid. You're going to be paralyzed by fear. But if you will focus on me and see my face and see my smile because I'm walking on your fears, they're under my control. If you'll do that, you'll be okay. It's a beautiful story about an Indian tribe that, that annually they sacrificed a young maiden to the river. You know, they looked upon the river as a god and they feared the river and they wanted to appease the river so annually they would put a young maiden in a boat and she would go over the falls to her death, sacrificed to the river. And a maiden would be selected by lot. And so this year it happened that this young maiden, that her number came up, was the chief's daughter. Well, everyone wondered what would happen. Well, there's nothing the chief could do. That was what you did. You sacrificed your daughter to the god, to the river. And so when it came time to put that young maiden into that canoe, everybody was looking for the chief, but he wasn't there. I know the crowd, they were talking among themselves, saying the chief is a coward. He can't bear to see his own daughter. He's watched our daughters. We sacrificed our daughters, but now it's his daughter and he's a coward. He can't watch her. He's not even here. And they put that maiden, that girl, in that canoe and pushed her out into that river. And as they pushed her out, they saw on the other side of the river the captain. And he was in a canoe. He pushed himself off the bank. And in that canoe, he went out and met his daughter and grabbed hold of her canoe. And then he grabbed hold of her hand and they went over that falls together to their death. That story illustrates what God has done in Jesus Christ. God, from the other side of the river has come through His Son, Jesus Christ, to take our hand and to say, you don't need to be afraid because I'm going to go with you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you. And together, we'll make it. You see, for the Christian, there's really no need to, to be afraid because the worst thing that could ever happen to you is death and death has already been conquered through Jesus Christ I was in Oklahoma City preaching a revival meeting and a man gave a testimony one of the most amazing testimonies I've ever heard he would had several hundred stitches in his face and he told the story of how he was in a bank and in a drive through and some men were robbing that bank and they came into his car on both sides of him and they used his car to be the getaway car they took him out into the country, into a field, and they'd stopped somewhere along the way and put him in the trunk, and they got to the field, they opened the trunk and got him out, and they took uh, bricks and pounded him, pounded him until they were convinced they'd killed him. And then they left him there, they thought dead. But he regained consciousness, and he crawled to an old farmhouse. And he crawled inside that old farmhouse and there was a couch still in that house and he crawled up in that couch. was there for three days. It's all over the news. His family, his wife was on the news. Nobody knew where this man was. And there on that couch, his arm was sticking up and a deputy sheriff came by and saw that arm. They investigated, they found this man, they rushed from the hospital. He had multiple surgeries. But he was standing there giving that testimony. And they said to him, what were you thinking during those days? He said, I was thinking that I cannot lose. He said, I've got the greatest family in the world and I've got a wonderful church. And he says, if I live, I get to go back and be with them and it'll be wonderful. He says, if I die, I go straight to be with Jesus Christ. And I have the assurance that Jesus can take care of my family better than I can. He said, I was in a win-win situation. There was nothing to be afraid of. Wow. But that's true. But now let me say something important to you that's very, very critical. The only ones who need to be afraid are those who do not know Jesus Christ. If you do not know Christ as your personal Savior and have not received the forgiveness of sins through Christ, then you have every reason to be afraid. You're going to face Him. And you're going to face Him in judgment. Donald Barnhouse, the great preacher, closed many of his services with this prayer. He said, Lord, dismiss us with your peace. Except those who don't know you. Keep them miserable until they come to know the Prince of Peace. I like that. Because you see, there is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. And there is no way to ever handle fear outside of Christ. You've got to acknowledge your fears and get them out in the open. Be honest about them. Analyze them. Try to figure out where they're coming from. Maybe from unconfessed sin. Guilty conscience. The answer to that is forgiveness and repentance. You've got to accept God's unconditional love. You've got to focus on God. Pray. Turn it over to Him. Ask Him to help you. Ask Him to give you courage and strength to handle whatever you have to handle. Experience the presence of His Spirit. Guard your thoughts. Speak truth. Don't repeat the lies that your mind or your feelings will tell you. Develop positive relationships. Learn to relax. Basically, it boils down to three things. Number one is a regenerate heart. That means you'll never solve the fear problem until you ask Jesus Christ into your heart and life to be your Lord and Savior. He's your answer to fear. A regenerate heart. Secondly, a renewed mind. You've got to somehow take that old tape out of your mind and put in a new tape that contains the truth of God. You've got to get those lies out of your thinking and put God's truth there. And you've got to go over God's truth over and over until it becomes truth to your feelings. A renewed mind. Renew your mind with the truth of God. The third thing is a realized power. You've got to realize and recognize that you have the Holy Spirit in your life so there's no need to be afraid. He's going to be your helper. He's going to give you that inner peace. A regenerate heart. A renewed mind. A realized power. One of my favorite stories is about how they inducted in one Indian tribe a a young boy into manhood. His father would take him out in the middle of the woods draw a circle and he would have to get in the middle of that circle with only a knife and he would have to spend the night alone in the darkness in that in those woods and that boy would, his daddy would take him out there and put him in that circle and there he would stand in the middle of that circle with his little knife his father would leave and that young boy would shiver in that darkness he would hear all these sounds of the woods in the darkness the animals the fears And they say those boys would just shake and tremble with fear and couldn't sleep until 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning they would just in exhaustion go to sleep. But when daylight came, the sun would come up. And that boy would open his eyes. Standing just outside the circle would be his father with a drawn bow. And that's what God promises. He doesn't promise that you won't have the darkness, that you won't have the bumps, that there won't be fears to come into your life. But he says, somewhere in the shadows, you will find Jesus. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com, where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.